Welcome to Season 2 of the Pines and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. This show understands that there is quite a bit of diversity amongst the body of Christ. So we operate according to the motto that certain things are fixed, like the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. Cullen, you know what the best time of the year is? What's the best time of the year? Autumn. Well, I guess... Well, technically, you're kind of laid into it now. This is early November. It's the best time of the year. It's not autumn. Yes, it is. I guess it is. I guess it yes, is it fall. Is. I guess it is. It is. Yeah, it is. The football is on. The football is on. The pecan pie is baking. It's true. The leaves are changing. It's true. There's a nip in the air. It's true. The white girls have brown hats on. <laughs> the white girls do have brown hats and pumpkin spice lattes. And PSL is popping. Yep. And it's a great time for golf, too. It's the most In Texas. wonderful time. I love fall. I love Thanksgiving, November. It's unfortunate that we're recording this in September, and so Shut we're not up. in Shut up. You just sweaters. broke the, the fourth wall. Now they know. Well, they know. They've been knowing. I know. Y'all know. They know that we like we to pulling be on no top fast of ones. You ain't, no. We ain't pulling no fast no. ones. No, ain't nobody fooling nobody. Well, we really hope that you enjoyed our conversation on Halloween. Hopefully, you got lots of candy and no cavities. Welcome back to Pints and Perspectives. Have you liked? Have you subscribed? Have you shared this? Why not? Don't you want the rest of the world to have this experience? Amen. And this is why he's the talent. Tell us, <laughs> uh, tell us about your beer, Mister. Yeah, Ware. so um, I'm excited about this. Beer. I'm excited for you. Look, on the last episode, he got a terrible beer, and it was a little bit my fault. Uh, he's about to have a beer that I know is going to be amazing. Have you ever had this beer? I think I have. I don't really remember it, but uh, okay. I've had a lot from Founders. I love Founders. I think Clayton has had this beer before. I know it's uh, going to be good. Possibly on this podcast. I'm not sure. I have never had this. This is from Founders. Uh, I don't remember where Founders is. Do you remember? Northeast? Uh, yeah, that's what I think, too, somewhere. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't remember. Uh, oh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Michigan, yeah. Um, there you go. A lot uh, of good beer in Michigan. A lot of good beer. Interesting. Also, uh, Gretchen Whitmer for governor. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, this is the Founders... Scotch style ale. It's going to be great. And it's called the Dirty Bastard. Even better. Uh, so appropriate. So appropriate. For you, I mean. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was unkind. Wellhouse Church, I apologize for saying no. that about your pastor. It's totally fine. They know. They do. Um, 50 IBUs on that boy. 50 IBUs. Eight and a half percent. It's hot. ABV. It's going to be nice. Uh, it will be nice. It's going to be sweet. Um, Scotch-style ales. Love them. You love them? Oh, yeah. We'll see. Um, it is strange because one of my favorite times, uh, or one of my favorite, probably my favorite whiskey, if I had to guess, or if I had to venture to say, is Scotch. Okay, sure. Uh, and I'm a whiskey person. More well, what than region? Really a beer. Scotch is not one thing. Uh, Cullen Ware. Sorry, go ahead. I deeply apologize. Bring back Clayton. I, I look, hey, Clayton, get ready. He's about to fire me. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you be my be my best friend and not know what my favorite scotch is? Oh, 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 oh. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We share the same favorite. Is it, well, the Balvenie? No. 
no, no, no. Man. My 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 favorite is a Boonin <sighs> Avalor. Did you do you like Ardbeg Tin? Yes. Ardbeg Tin is amazing. I have so many. Fa- I can't pick one favorite. Ardbeg Tin, incredible, incredible Isla. You always have Ardbeg around. There's a huge bottle. There's a there's a freaking liter of it in the other room. Yeah. Yes, I do correct. love Ardbeg. It yes. is my preferred Scott. How did I first describe it to you? Uh, smoky greatness. It's a burning pirate ship. Oh, that's right, burning pirate ship. It, yeah, it's, so true. It's beautiful. So true. It's great. Um. So yes. How did we? What are we doing? Scotch ale. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna just let me land the plane. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Wait, wait, my fault, my fault. Uh, yeah. Let me land the plane. So, anyways, scotch, my favorite type of whiskey. Okay. I don't drink it that often because okay. I refuse to put it on ice. It's so expensive too. Um, so freaking expensive right now. What's really not that? Oh, get out. Go ahead. You you refuse. So you drink it neat. And so because of that, I only drink it in the winter. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's time because it's hot. It's but the now most wonderful it's time. time of the year. But I say all that to say. It is ironic that I'm a whiskey person first in alcohol, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I really love scotch. Scotch ales, not my favorite. Yeah, I know. You've had, uh, I think, a different scotch ale. Yeah, I had Clay- I had one of Clayton's scotch ales that he picked out, which he really loves scotch ales. Yeah, I like but them too. I like he them lived too. in Belgium, and scotch ales are very prominent there, pretty easy to get. He traveled all over Europe. Scotch ales are pretty common. Uh, so, yeah, he likes them. They're not really my favorite, but I'm interested to try this because I do really like Founders. Founders is great. Uh, this beer I have here is not from Michigan. It is from the Houston Heights neighborhood. Mm, Eureka. Brewery Eureka Heights. So, um, you know, uh, Beto for governor. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but I think when this episode comes out, you, you might need to get to the polls. If you haven't early voted yet, have you voted? Do you know how? Do you know where you need to go to vote? Oh, I guess that's true. I don't this know. Will it, come out, this will come out the first week of November. So, unfortunately, it's probably already passed. Oh yeah. Um. Let's see. Pilsner. Yeah. Oh, it's on voting day. It's November third. You need to get your butt to the you, polls. Turn me off now, and go vote. Yep. Um. Uh, Pilsner, Vienna, and Munich malts. So three different types of malts join forces in this multi-German fest beer. I don't speak German, but I'm I'm sure I did not pronounce that properly. Crisp and easy to drink. What? Feast beer. Yes, there you go. There you go. Now I feel like I'm being racist. So you can (laughs) eat crisp and easy to drink so that you can eat way more pretzels. Pairs great with a little sausage, like a little sausage or like a little bit of sausage. Uh, So is it a pretzel beer? I don't think so. It is a Von Wolfhausen feast beer. Easy beast beer. Okay, I'm doing too much there. 4.5 alcohol by volume, 12 ounces in a can. Please recycle. Okay, well, let's see. I originally bought that beer. Thinking it was a pretzel beer. Because I wanted Adam to have a pretzel beer because he made, I don't remember what podcast it was on, but if you... Never done had one. If you don't remember us having this conversation about pretzel beers, you should go back and listen to all of them until you find it again. <laughs> <laughs> like and subscribe. But um, it has a cute little pretzel man. Yeah, on it in a, in I a bought it because thing. Adam uh, made fun of me for calling a pretzel stout chewy because he did not know that pretzel beers existed. Um, I need to find a pretzel stout. Hey, look, mail us I will a get one stout. for you. I will get one for you. Okay. Can't mail beer. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah. This is a problem. You can't drive mail us a pretzel stout. 
Or just send us recommendations in the comments. That's or appropriate as well. Or just send us money so we can buy more beer. Okay. That's fine, too. Cheers. Cheers. Hmm. Ooh. I'm disappointed. It's light. Sad. No body. I wish I had pretzels because it is exactly as billed, crisp, easy to drink. Yeah. And uh, I need a pretzel with it. Yeah. Um, I wish I could. Nothing to just, it. The viscosity of water. It, it Well, no, 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 no. It, no. It is. It's got a lot going on. It just is very muted. All the mm. little, all the flavor notes are just a little muted. Like a little bit of hops and a little bit light. of malt. And it's just, it's very crisp and light. Yeah. Yep. Which is, that's okay. That's well, that's okay. what they branded it as. You know, it's Eureka Heights. So it's getting a five uh, no matter what. That's baseline for neighborhood breweries. So Atta I'll boy. give it a five. I'll give it a five. a boy. Represent. Oh, wait. So they only got the baseline. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's not a great beer. <laughs> much love. Much love. <laughs> Truly much love. Um, The Dirty Bastard is interesting. There's a lot going on in that bottle. I guarantee it. It is I see why they say Scotch style ale oh. and not Scotch ale. Oh, say more. It's not a Scotch ale. Okay, okay. The most prominent note in it is chocolate. Oh my god. I bet it's amazing. Uh it is very good. Um don't drink the whole thing. I want to try some after. Okay, you can have the backwash. Oh God! Fine, if you're gonna drink it anyway, let me try. Holy crap! Go buy that beer. First note: It's is, not a Scotch ale. It's a Scotch style because the base is definitely Scotch-like, but it's not sweet. It is so like, toasted, yeah. chocolate, but the malt hits you on the back end. Yeah. That is a fantastic. The finish, beer. the finish of it feels like a Scotch ale. That's the nice. front of it. Does not. Yeah, right. It feels exactly. like a. It's almost bitter. It feels almost kind of like a chocolate porter. Yep. Yes. Um, yes. Is what it feels like on the front, and then it kind of devolves into a Scotch style ale on the finish. Um, Great. Beer. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna reserve scoring it for a hot minute. <gasps> let's have okay. a conversation. Okay. Yeah. Let's I talk. need to. I need to think it's about it. Too much. Um, we're talking about hell, right? Three views. Three views. Three common of views hell. on hell. Then there's a fourth, which I'm kind of siloing into another category. So four views on hell. Annihilationism. Yes. Eternal torment. Yes. Eternal conscious torment. Yeah, eternal conscious torment. Universalism. And what's your fourth? Purgatory. Oh. That's, because technically, why are you putting that in a hell? Well, category? because so the counterpoint series, which is where I kind of base uh -huh. all of these off of, yeah. I don't read those books. Um, <laughs> you just steal the premise. Well, I just steal the four categories because I got look, you. I got you. Yeah, I've fine. been trained in this shit three times over. I, I don't it. really need to read that intro book about these things. No, I got you. Um, so I just looked at those three to make sure there's nothing different. Yeah. And since we went to undergrad mm -hmm. and like we're introduced into those, they've updated them. 
And the Counterpoint series now has included a fourth one written by your professor, Jerry Walls, for Purgatory. Uh, Four views on hell, and Purgatory is now replacing a view of hell because it's not paradise. So the way people, you don't normally think about this, is you have paradise or hell, and then some people have a asterisk for Purgatory. But I thought, okay, we're going back to Purgatory here, but I thought theologically... Well, we're going to go to Purgatory. Yeah, we're going to move towards Purgatory. So okay, I'm going to leave we're the gonna Purgatory do this. conversation alone. Yeah, we're going to do these three... Yep. We're going to leave purgatory, okay. and we're going to move towards purgatory later. So Got we're going to leave purgatory out of it. But technically, there are four. So you're an annihilationist, as you've admitted. I, yeah, I'm definitely an annihilationist. I guess I think maybe I am too. Well, you, I don't know how to, well, okay, maybe, yeah, we're about to have a conversation about this, but how did you feel about my argument to your universalist comment? Yeah, I wanted to ask you a follow-up question because I'm getting the sense as we continue to do this work together and I listen back to our conversations trying to understand your perspective. There's like, you you have like a narrative perspective. Oh, yes. The foundation of all of my thought theology is built on the premise of narrative theology. Yes. That the Bible is a story and I can take that narrative to have truths. So what do you believe practically though? That's the question. About what? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that I think I think that's where we have been arguing past each other is like do i'm taking these questions very literally like when i die what happens no one knows uh but i can make some guesses right and a lot of people have systems so here's what i would say practically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. when you die when i die when every person that is li listening to this or ever will listen to this because you know these will exist for eternity I know the internet will exist for eternity and house all of this data for eternity. Well, and it will be the new library. The sound waves are floating off into space for eternity. Correct. So Hello. this will exist for Hello. eternity. Um, Sorry, so for you, I, and everyone that can hear this. Oh gosh, he's going to, he's about to drop. He's about to drop something. When you die, nothing, nobody happens. knows what's going to happen. Well, yeah, we know this. We have yeah, nobody knows what's going to happen, but I just want to make that premise before yeah. I drop what I think. Okay. What do you think? Go. Yeah, I think there will be some kind of sorting, and I definitely think there is life after this. Mm -hmm. And I do but think not for everyone. Nope, I don't. I don't, and that is simply because I I refuse to worship a god. Yeah, that forces people. That forces people to worship them when they've chosen not to. Yeah, so that's a terrible god to worship. That's the god that creates, and I, you know, every term has its hiccups. And I hate the term deconstruction, but it's a little played out too. So. This this is the dilemma that creates evangelicals. Yeah, is you have a God that forces people to do things. No, you it, can't go the other way. Yeah, is and he good? create a God that forces people to do things in the name of that God being good. Yeah, it's, it's weird. still forcing God to do things. Well, you know, his justice has been you know blemished, and he's a just God. So he, in his righteous, infinite justice, there has to be right and wrong, and there have to be those. There have to be enemies against him, and he because he's just, he has to punish his enemies like a good king, or. Isn't the premise of an enemy to defeat the enemy? Mm. Why does he have to punish them? Great. Why great is question. punishment? Great question. Think about every major great piece of literature throughout history. There's restoration at the end. 
Does Always. is punishment ever the thing that's heightened? No, it's the enemy. <laughs> it's the yeah. conquering of the enemy and the bliss that happens in life after the antagonist of the yeah. fucking story. Yeah. So the question for like the eternal conscious torment crowd is how do you justify a theology of a loving, good benefactor God who then takes a portion of that which he has created and tortures them forever. If, if, if what stands between me enjoying pleasure forever or enjoying torture forever is my cognitive ascent to a one set of right beliefs. What kind of God is that? Well, and, and might we also say a one set of right beliefs that has uniquely been defined and created in a vacuumed echo chamber of white evangelicalism forsaking the voice patriarchal white evangelicalism. yeah patriarchal white evangelicalism forsaking the voice of thousands of years of oppressed christians come on man in exactly. other cultural context exactly and like what like you know man i so deeply appreciate my uh truett years my my seminary years because i mike stroop showed me the entire world and and not just like different cultures, but different theological implications upon those cultures. And I was exposed to different versions of Christianity, like a lot of different types of Christianity. You know, there's like a whole uh, movement in Hin Indian Hinduism where they're, uh, oh gosh, what's the name? Bhagavad no, um, um, uh, anyways, where there's like a, there's a sect of Hindus, there's a name for these guys, people uh where they, the god that they worship because hinduism is like a multi-god right. religion right polytheism, polytheism. it's you it's, are trained for words for these I things know, i know i know well i try to <laughs> so it's a polytheistic religion and so a lot of people have one deity that they prioritize their worship toward in india there's like a whole group of people that are worshiping jesus yeah they've chosen jesus as that and there there are muslims like there are isa like who worship jesus in their mosque and so this is yeah you know what i'm saying so like there is no one singular set there's like six thousand different versions of christianity in the world historically how who gets to make the claim that they have the one right version that gets them into paradise forever that is asinine well it's also just like a little detached from reality to believe that it's possible no it's true it's true it's definitely a delusion delusional but, yeah but it's created because power, I mean, you power, just, power and control you, yeah you just told yeah. the story yeah. white people are the greatest parasite we take everything from everyone it's true and we tell everyone that they're wrong if they don't do it our way it's called colonization exactly and we learned it from britain yeah so i think the eternal conscious torment thing is so problematic theologically for, well, any Christian tradition, any Christian theological system, but most especially for evangelicalism, who evangelical, that word means those who like get, they tell the good news, right? Carriers of the good news. What the hell is the good news? It's like you are you yeah. you build your entire theological system around a good loving God who saves people from torment. But if you don't get it right before you die, 
that yeah. same God will be like, oh, sorry, hands tied. Got to torture you for eternity. Yeah. Eternity. This is why annihilationism makes a lot of sense to me because I'm like, look, man, if it's not universalism, if Jesus Christ is the only way to God, yada, 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 if that, if that system is true, then... If and if and if God is loving and gracious and kind and good and a deliverer and a good father, he's gonna annihilate the people who reject him. They. They. He, they, she, them. Thank you. All. They are are gonna annihilate the people. I'm so I'm with you. I'm with you. Now I'm as I said in previous episodes though, I'm a hopeful universalist i'm not i hear i i'm not that is quite problematic for me yeah i got because it is literally the thing that i think the book is telling us to be against so the way that i read the story wow interesting the bible is against universalism okay cool 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 go well it's because it's bondage yeah interesting and if jesus is the embodiment of liberation which that is the gateway to life and the experience of life and like uh, human flourishing, then it's bondage. It's, it's, it's bondage to enslave someone to do something they've said that they don't want to do. No, I understand. I, and I think and so it's like it's the opposite of the damn story. I feel I feel uh, yeah, I mean you may have you may have convinced me on this one. So but well, I mean truth truthfully I think when I die my Well, to be fair, I, I did not I did not come up with that. The first no, person of course, that, yeah. The first person that ever pointed that out to me was Andrew Barrett. Oh, shout out Andrew. He yeah, he's been he's, on this podcast. He's not listening to us though, right Probably. now. Probably. And hey, he has been on this podcast. Back. Y'all been in class together. We, yeah, we, they know each other. They went to True together. Andrew's one of, of my great friends. We had lots uh, of good times well. together. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew was the one that pointed this out to me. He was like, I can't be a universalist because I can't have God enslaving people. No, I mean, I think it's a good argument. I Okay. Let me back us up to hell real quick though. Because I, I, I. Well, technically be, universalism is one piece of the hell. Well, no, no, I know. But, so that yeah. was, well, but this is my question. In if annihilation, okay, if we go with annihilationism, hell doesn't exist, or hell or, is yeah, hell is death. Hell is death, which okay. is which. To be fair, I also think that's what the Bible's communicating, but it's not. It's eternal separation from God, right? But it is which, not some location filled with uh, the devil and demons tormenting uh, well, disembodied but see, souls. The problem. You are right. Yes, it is not that. But the reason you want to make it that is because you have allowed white Dante's, evangelicalism. Dante's Inferno. Nope, nope. Because you've allowed white evangelicalism to convince you that God has a similar place like that. Heaven. And so hell Look has at you. to have Look hell at has you. to have a mirror image. No, if heaven does not exist like that, then hell equally does not exist like that. I should have brought a book. I think this. I think. I think in our, our cultural because you're. You're exactly right, and I think a lot of that comes not from the Bible, but from another piece of literature. Paradise Lost. No, no, no. Dante's Inferno. Oh, I another have. Oh, epic. I have two great versions of this book that I forgot. Uh, to bring. They're they're in they're on the shelf. I'd have to. Go I have an from, illustrated but, version of Dante's uh, Inferno too. But we're you know the seven like seven deadly sins and the seven levels of hell and the different types of torment that take place. Go go Google Dante's well, Inferno. Well, and actually, okay. To be fair, since we're talking about Dante, we we can go ahead and carry this. There are nine levels to Dante's Inferno. Nine, okay, yeah, okay, okay. Nine levels to Dante's Inferno, and there's a whole thing. You have a guide. It's this massive piece of great literature that everyone should read. And but it is not the Bible, and nor is it Christian. No, but but I think it's where I you will get the concept say, of hell. Well, I will say that I think that it has the most accurate depiction of hell. Oh, what? 
the ninth layer. Okay, I don't It's remember. clearly Dante's retelling. So as you go through, hell is like this tiered system, and it's yeah. like a funnel. And it gets down, and there's less and less people the deeper you go down because it's a hierarchy. Right. And the deeper you are, the, worse the more effed off you are. Right, right? right The right, more right, you're right. in bad shit. The deepest level of hell has three people in it. Do you know who it is? Oh, I can't remember. This is good. It's three remember. people. Uh, this, Satan. This was before Hitler, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not Hitler. Satan is in there. Right. Judas is in there. Judas. Hold on, wait. Let me guess. Let me guess. Give me a hint. Give me a hint. Give me a time period. Oh, it's a contemporary of Dante. Oh, right. The Pope. Nope. But the Pope is the in The dude one that of them. stole his woman. What? It's the personal dude I've, that stole his woman. I promise I've read this um, book before. I just can't remember this. Yeah. Yeah. Dante's Inferno has three people in the bottom part of hell. In the bottom part of hell, the ninth layer of Dante's Inferno is frozen over. Uh-huh. That's right. It's cold. Why? Because remember. Satan is trying so goddamned hard to fly and get up to heaven that he is freezing over <sighs> by flapping his wings. Wow. Hell, because his only motivation is to be like God in the wrong way. And the two other people that embodied that truth most for Dante Judas. was the dude that stole his woman and Judas, the person who literally betrayed Christ. When he was writing, there was a pope at the time. I can't remember. I've lost a lot of this. But whoever the pope was at the time, he also put him in one of the layers of hell, like as a master like of one of those uh, areas. Yep. Anyways, I just think, though, that like a lot of our pop culture and cultural, a lot of our pop culture and cultural conception of hell, like the Simpsons versions of hell, why do I keep using them as a reference? Um, <laughs> they clearly were quite impactful to your childhood, buddy. <laughs> I think they, I, well, I think they offer a great, they have offered the longest running best commentary on the American evangelicalism than any other entertainment. I think like, go I guess that's true. Cause Ned they have Flanders. South Park beat by a decade. Yeah. Ned Flanders, bro. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Reverend Lovejoy. It, yeah. it, it just, it's, it's brilliant. Um, where was I going with that? Yeah. I'm just saying, I think, I think there is this assumption that hell the way that we picture it, the way that it's pictured in our media, in our um, movies, and you know, I think a little Nas X's uh, music video that created such an uproar, um, where he goes down into hell and twerks on the devil. Um, people got so upset with that, and I'm like, that's literally like th that's just an illustration of Dante's conception of hell. It's not yeah. even a biblical conception of hell, right? But all the people who read the Bible are upset that he made it, and I'm like, it has nothing to do with. We just get it all enmeshed and confused, and nobody knows. You're so right. I think what I think the main problem is is like because we we are all trying to fill in gaps that the Bible doesn't give us. Right. Yeah. That's sure. what this conversation right. is. We're right. we're trying to answer questions. That's well, all of theology. Correct. Yeah. And so we find ourselves in this very unique place where we're trying to answer these questions, and so in order to do that. We, in some sort of weird creation of justice, yep. because we only see retributive justice. Yeah, okay. We have no concept of restorative justice because yeah. we don't see it in our, in our world. And so because we only have this idea of retributive justice that we see in our broken legal system, 
we believe that God is like isolated in this one place and there are people that are going to be with God because they've done the right thing. And so the only thing we must do is because we also believe in equality yep. is like create a similar experience, but the adverse effect, the thing that we must punish yeah. because it's the antagonist of the story. It's the, it's the evil, it's the death, it's the sin, it's the shit. Yeah. And yeah. so we have to create that, but that can't be a great experience because well, once again, we're talking about white evangelicalism. I can't control people. It has to be the enemy. If that's a great experience, right. yeah, it, I can't let that be a good thing. You have to suffer because then people will just freely go over there. Yeah, right. And they won't let me control them. And they'll be different. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Different bad. Exactly. Yeah. And so we create this thing and we scare people into hell or we scare people into heaven. And this is what I will say to wrap up um, this conversation. I think it's some bullshit. Um, <laughs> Jonathan Edwards is a famous preacher of the 1800s, late 1800s. And he has this famous sermon. You know, he's a Puritan, which that matters. It matters. They're part of the holiness movement, right? Right. They're they're doing their shit. Jonathan Edwards has a sermon that's pretty famous. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Mm -hmm. And preachers and seminaries all over the world like to tell this story about Jonathan Edwards getting up there and telling, preaching this sermon for 45 minutes in this ancient church building, so much so that even today in that building, there still exists pews where people ingrained their fingernails on the back of the pew. Because they're so scared. In such angst of what he was saying. Right. What they refused to tell you is that two weeks before that, Jonathan Edwards preached that same sermon in his home church, the one where he was the actual pastor of that church. And it went over like a fucking dud. (laughs) Not a single person thought it was good. And multiple people came up to him saying that it was terrible. Interesting. I've never heard this story before. Yeah, I learned that from your boy, Brian Brewer. Hey, Um, my former boss. That was his GA. Yeah, it's all the same shit. No, it is. We're just creating the same patterns. It's marketing. It's negative marketing. So uh, to wrap up, hell's not real. Well, hell is real. It's just not an eternal place of conscious torment. Amen. It's an eternal separation of God. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.